Good evening. Welcome to Spirit of Grace Church. We're glad that you're able to be with us this evening. And uh, we're coming to you recorded. And uh, because my wife and I and the boys are able to spend a little bit of time away during the in Minnesota here, we have an education weekend, so the boys are off school. And so we're taking a couple of days away. So this is being recorded earlier. Uh, but we're glad that you're able to be with us. And uh, I'm excited about what God is doing in the church in 2020. I know that this year has, for all of us probably, has been challenging, has been disconcerting in some ways, has been uh, troubling. But I believe that we're going to come out of 2020 as a church, as the body of Christ, more powerful, more dynamic, more anointed, if you will, walking in a new boldness boldness in reaching for the people that are looking for the things of God. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. And I'm excited that Spirit of Grace is a part of it as well. We want to uh, teach a little bit tonight on uh, a topic that, uh, for those that are unaware, uh, whether it be... Um, uh, Spirit of Grace people that are watching this or those of you that have joined us online uh, Several years ago now a couple years ago now my wife and I joined a ministry network called destiny leaders uh, It's directed by dr. Phil and Kathy Brassfield and it has all different kinds of ministries that have come together uh, And we just love each and every person that's in that group. We're so honored to be a part of it uh, it's an honor to call Dr. Brassfield our pastor, if you will. In fact, being October and Pastor Appreciation Month, I do want to uh, publicly say thank you, Dr. Brassfield, for taking us under your wings and allowing us to come in under your ministry and your authority. And you have been a blessing to my wife and I personally and to our church. Our church loves you. And uh, we're looking forward to when some of this COVID stuff can diminish to get you back up and speak to us in person. I also want to just give a shout out while I'm online and publicly so everybody can see. I want to honor uh, the pastors of my life, uh, Pastor Wayne and Janet Trout. Uh, Pastor Trout's gone on to be with the Lord, but with Sister Trout, I want to just say thank you as my mother in the ministry. She gave me my first ministry job way back in 1988, and uh, we're thankful for that. I want to honor Stan and Marlene Gleason, pastors in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, who helped mold and shape us for 16 years in person, but I have followed Pastor Gleason my entire life, being from the same home church. And we honor you tonight and the great work that you're doing in Kansas City and the Life Church, and we love you so dearly and love the Life Church dearly as well. And then also one more that I would like to mention is uh, Pastor Jonathan Suber of Oasis Church in Austin, Texas, or Round Rock, Texas. We're so thankful that God has crossed our paths again uh, he is, I classify him as my pastor, even though he's only about a year or two older than I am. Uh, but he has been such a blessing to my wife and I. So during this Pastor Appreciation Month, we do want to publicly acknowledge and thank you so very much for the fingerprints of your ministry and our ministry. And we honor you tonight for that. Having said that, um, Destiny Ministries or Destiny Leadership Ministries has challenged us as leaders to a four-service uh, or four-week um, 
focus, if you will, on the topic of love first. And so I want to pick up, and I will just let you know that the next four messages, Wednesday night or and tonight, and then also Sunday and next Wednesday and the following Sunday, I'm going to be speaking from these outlines that these great men have given us to go from. And so we want to uh, not only support Destiny Ministries and align with what we believe God is calling to us, but this message uh, for services worth of messages is something that, as I've studied it and looked at it, is exactly the perfect timing uh, for us. Now, it may be a different church. We'll have a different timing for this uh, revealing, if you will, of this concept or title of Love First. Um, but I, I believe for Spirit of Grace Church especially, this is exactly where we're at. And I believe God is doing such a, such a dynamic move that it behooves us to take this next couple of services uh, and share with you these thoughts. And, and I'm so thankful for the likes uh, uh, of Destiny Leadership that would give us this opportunity to use this, this uh, outline, if you will, these messages, this, this principle, so that we can share it with you. So having said that, I, I want to read from John chapter 4. Uh, the title of tonight's message is Love When Love Invades uh, Enemy Territory. And I believe that we are in enemy territory. I believe that the church, the body of Christ, is living and dwelling on a daily basis now uh, in the enemy's territory. And I don't mean that in a natural, physical sense. Uh, it may be expressed in that. It may be operating in that, but I believe that we are in a spiritual war uh, between that which is ungodly or at enmity with God and that which is godly and on God's side. And I want to fall on God's side, and God's side declares it, that love is uh, the invasive uh, tool that he uses to reach people. And it's not judgment, it's not argument, it's not debate, but it's love first. And so I'm excited about this. John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now Jesus learned, I'm reading from the NIV tonight, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse number 4, Now he had to go through Samaria. And I will just say, just here interrupt a minute, in the King James Version said he must needs go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Number five, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar and near the plot of ground uh, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down uh, by the well and it was about noon. Now I, I want you to notice a couple of things as we get started here. And the first being that Jesus is leaving uh, to go back to Galilee because he was facing some opposition and things and forces and people and philosophy has had come to uh, against his ministry against what he was trying to accomplish and so the success that he was having because they saw that he was gaining disciples he saw that they were baptizing uh, and so his it, it because he was being successful in what he was deciding to do in the ministry that he was deciding to go forward in he was facing opposition by the Pharisees, which lets me know that when we are facing opposition from the enemy, it's likely because we're doing something right. 
And I have often stated that if your life is calm, smooth, no problems, no worries, no concerns, nothing's happening, you're probably not doing much for God. But when the waves are coming against you and the opposition is rising up and you're dealing with circumstance and people and situations, uh, the chances are you are doing something right for God. And I believe that very strongly at Spirit of Grace Church. In the last week or so, we have faced death uh, with several different people within our church or connected to our church, have passed on, and just opposition in all financial world and uh, physical world and emotional world. All of that we have been dealing with in opposition two weeks ago in our church. We had such a tremendous breakthrough of the anointing of God, and last Sunday was incredible as well. But as we continue to catch the momentum of the Spirit, the enemy is going to raise up the Pharisees to cause opposition. But always know that when an opposition when, when opposition rises, it will always lead you to the next stage of your mission. It will always open up the door. Your opposition, uh, well, let me put it to you the way Joseph said in the Old Testament, that which you have meant for evil, God has meant for good. God will take your opponent the enemy of your spirit, the enemy of your soul that's rising up against you, and he will use him to open up the door into the next stage or the next uh, part of your mission. And I believe that the adversary is going to lose out again here at Spirit of Grace Church because I believe that uh, the opposition is opening a door to another move of the Spirit of God. If Jesus would have stayed in Judea, he he would have never encountered uh, the woman at the well that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Uh, I mentioned in verse 4, it said that he had to go through Samaria, or he must needs go through Samaria. Technically, that's not correct. Uh, spiritually, it is. Technically, in fact, uh, pr in practice, Jews didn't go through Samaria. To go from Judea to Galilee, uh, most often, Jews would skirt the border of Samaria and go all the way around literally at least doubling, if not more, the length of the trip just so that they wouldn't have to go through that region. And, and they did that because uh, they actually despised the Sumerians. And, and they fought against the Sumerians as much as they could and argued with them and debated with them. And, and so uh, Jesus, by saying that he had to go through Samaria, uh, we don't see the in-between lines and conversation between Jesus and his disciples, but I, I just have to imagine, because the disciples were as human as uh, we are, I, I just have to imagine that the disciples had to question either in their minds or their hearts or amongst one another, what is he talking about? We never go through Samaria. We always go around. It's not the way we do things. It's not the practice. It's not the tradition. It's not the way that we've always done it, so we're going to try to do something different. Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria. What Jesus was really saying was, there's an appointment for me. Somebody's waiting for me in Samaria, and particularly in the town called Sychar. There's somebody that Jesus saw in the spirit that that there was somebody waiting on him and he was not going to be deterred from meeting with this individual. And Jesus shows us by doing that, that there's no place in the kingdom of God for racial, social, uh, or any other kind of prejudice in his kingdom. We live today in a uh, social unrest, a pandemic unrest, a racial unrest uh, atmosphere but it's up to you and I as the church, as the followers of Christ, to follow the example 
of the Lord and rise above it and go beyond it. And uh, it doesn't seem like Jesus would have to do anything, really. He's God manifest in the flesh. He doesn't have to do anything, but in his spirit, he saw somebody that he wanted to meet. His mission compelled him. His, his What he was trying to accomplish drove him through Samaria. Uh, the encounter with a woman was not happenstance. There was that divine appointment. There was a divine necessity. And I believe that God is trying to set up divine appointments for each one of us as we follow Christ, so he will lead us to the person that he's wanting us to talk to, to the to the mission, if you will. Uh, in fact, Jesus told Zacchaeus, uh, I must go to your house today. It's necessary for me to go to your home. In other words, Jesus did things based off of the need that was at hand. In Luke 9, uh, Jesus actually tells his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He had to go to Jerusalem because he knew his time was at hand. That mission that compelled him to the cross uh, also was the same mission that compelled him to go through Samaria. It was the same mission that compelled him to go to uh, Zacchaeus' house. It's the same mission that compelled him to reach you where you were at and to reach me where I am at. And if we are going to be led of the Spirit and we are going to be filled with the Spirit and if we're going to be Christ-like, which is the mission statement of our church, then we must do the same. We must be compelled to do and fulfill the mission that, that God is calling you, you and I to. And so my desire tonight, I want to live in that way. I want to live my life as if I was on a mission from God where the love of God compels me to move, to act, to speak, to care, to do all kinds of things for Him. Uh, my desire tonight is that I would have in me the have-to spirit. I have to meet this need. I have to preach. I have to share. I have to pastor. I have to declare. I have to let people know how good God has been in my life and how good he wants to be in their life. I have to, it's like Jeremiah, I believe it was, that said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I've got to get that out. I don't want, we live in a world that is dominated with needs. And I have the one in my life that knows how to provide those needs. His name is Jesus. And uh, I've often told people, and it's been a declarative statement in our church now for a while, it's not our responsibility to tell people how to get to heaven. It's our responsibility to tell people how to get to Jesus. And if I can introduce them to Jesus and help them in their relationship with Jesus and answer questions about Jesus, uh, Jesus is going to take care of the heaven issue with them. Uh, I, I'm more concerned with being compelled to love like Jesus loved and serve like Jesus served. Um, I've also stated, and this is maybe why I connected so much to, to this message, um, that one of the worst things that we have done as humans um, is that we tend to operate, and the world definitely operates, through the domination of our feelings. Our feelings oftentimes dictate our response to situations. In fact, uh, right now you're seeing in the political world, whether it be the election, whether it be the Senate confirmation or the uh, the Supreme Court nomination uh, proceedings, et cetera, et cetera, that uh, if they the politicians have understood that if they can put something out there on an emotional level to connect them, then they will more easily grab the intellectual side of that particular individual. 
we're dominated by our feelings. The problem with that is feelings or emotions are operated not on an intellectual level, but on a heart level. And our heart, the Bible says, is deceivedly wicked above all things. No man can know it. You don't know what's really in your heart. So if you're making your decision based off of your emotions, then you're not operating in the way that God desires because God said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your intellect, how you think, how you perceive. Because uh, the world says it this way. Uh, I don't want to do what I'm supposed to do because I just don't feel like it right now. I just don't feel like going to school. I just don't feel like cleaning. I just don't feel like, just I'll, I'll put it off to another day. I just don't feel like ministering at that moment in time. I want a break. I want a vacation. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And uh, instead of living a life based off of the intellect that says it doesn't matter how I'm feeling right now, I am so compelled by God to love somebody else and to love another that I'm going to live and respond in such a way as to operate in the compelling force of the spirit and the mission and the call of God. And uh, I, I believe that that's, that's where we're at today. Praise God. Uh, there is a significance, I believe, in the um, concept of the town that Jesus decided to go to, uh, the si significance, if you will, of Sychar. And uh, the, the, the two, there's two translations for the word Sychar. Number one, it means the drunken city, and number two, it means the city of liars. Uh, so when Jesus says, I've got to go through Samaria... I've got to go to a town called Sychar. I've got to go to that which is drunken, that which is full of lies. He, he's choosing an unlikely place or city or town to pass through. And, and we would understand if he would say, well, I've got to go to Jerusalem or I've got to go to the holy city. But Sychar is full of deceit and debauchery. And, and yet Jesus, that's where Jesus shows up. This really is a microcosm or a picture of the gospel Jesus always shows up in enemy territory, always shows up in that area or that town or that city where you wouldn't expect him to show up. In fact, Romans 5.8 says uh, he demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Now, I'm not big into, uh, I think it's Marvel and DC Comics and the, the, the villain and the hero and uh, they're fine. There's nothing, I don't have anything wrong with them, but I, I've just never really gotten into it as much as others. But I, I do know this, the story of the gospel is the only story where the hero dies for the villain. I want you to think about that. In order to gain victory for all, the hero dies for all. The hero dies for his, the love of Christ should compel you and I to go to places. I'm not talking simply just in the physical realm, but I'm talking about in the spirit realm to places where others won't go. Not to get tangled up with that, but to bring light into a darkness, to bring hope to a hopeless, to bring mercy to the merciless, to bring goodness to the those that haven't experienced it. Our responsibility is to be different than the, the atmosphere that's around those individuals. And at Spirit of Grace Church, I'm so thankful that God has opened up the doors whereby we can touch people's lives that others may have, have set aside and, and said, well, they're just really not worth my time or energy. Listen, 
if Jesus died for them, they're worth my energy. And if more than that, if Jesus died for them, I am compelled to love them and to lead them and to care for them. And so when he gets into Sychar, we have uh, the encounter with the woman at the well in verse 7. Uh, the Bible says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. And, and how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now I want you to notice a couple things here. In that Jesus was breaking cultural norms. Jesus was breaking uh, cultural systems. Jesus shouldn't have been talking to a woman. In fact, the cultural norm of the day, even the rabbis wouldn't talk to their own wives in public. It, it was so, uh, there was such a separation between certain uh, entities that, that it was against the cultural norm. Listen, our culture cannot define the kingdom. The kingdom has to define our culture. And, and, and when we become kingdom cultured, the, the culture of the world will just be another entity that you and I have to, to, to step into, but we're bringing in a different culture. That culture says it doesn't matter whether you're red, yellow, black, or white, you're precious in his sight. It doesn't matter what background you come, what socioeconomic situation you come from, who your mom or dad is, what education you have. If you're living the way that Christ wants us to live, we're going to break down cultural dividers, cultural norms, and we're going to usher in the culture of the kingdom, which the culture of the kingdom is this, whosoever will, let him come unto me and drink. Whosoever, everybody. And, and so Jesus shouldn't be talking to a woman. Jesus shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan. We talked about that a little bit earlier, and especially the Jews uh, religious leaders of Judaism would never be caught talking to a Samaritan. And Jesus shouldn't be talking to, at least in the minds of, of people of that day, he shouldn't have been talking to a sinner. And, and so we, we see this, this woman, uh, which through history has been classified as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. She was a poster child for broken promises. And uh, the shame that she was experienced, uh, we, we know that she was full of shame because she came to the well at noon. Um, women didn't do that. They didn't come to the well at noon. They came early in the morning or they came late in the evening. In the morning, they came to draw water for food and cleaning. And in the evening, they, they would come and draw water for, for bathing and things of that nature. And they never went alone. Uh, they came as a group to catch up on the town news, to help each other draw water. And But the shame that she experienced by her background and her past and the culture that she was coming out of or actually was dwelling in at the time uh, was a shame for her that she wasn't even willing to be around the other women of the day. If she would have come at any other time or if Jesus, let me put it to you this way, if Jesus would have been there at any other time, she may have missed him and she may not have been able to be introduced to Jesus Christ. And so uh, what I want what I'm challenged with today is the fact that it could be that area of your deepest shame is where Christ is actually waiting to meet you. He, he has already looked at your life and he said, I must go through such and so because there's a place where John Doe is going to be at and it's going to be his lowest point. It's going to be his greatest shame, but I want to be there when he gets there so I can introduce him to my love and my mercy. 
the this woman is hardly a, a least likely candidate to experience God's love, and yet that's the great news for all of us is that with every every extra piece of baggage we carry, with every hang up, with every hurt, with every wound, God still is wanting to use the least likely person, and I'm so glad that somewhere in my life love came to town. I'm so glad that he loved me. When I was unlovable, yet he loved me. When, when I was not desirable, he loved me. I'm glad that he came to Sychar that day, and I'm glad that he came to Oakdale, Minnesota. I'm glad that he walked into uh, a little basement bedroom on Gentry Avenue North where God intercepted a young boy who had dreams of athletics, and, and he, he began to lead him down a path in the Word of God instead. I'm glad that he is still uh, with us today. And so going back to the passage of Scripture, uh, God reveals him to those that are there, and he says this, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that would ask you for a drink, uh, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this well will, or water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become a, a, in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And uh, the woman said to him, Sir, uh, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And uh, I'm sorry, I won't get thirsty, and I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And so what you said is quite true. I find in this passage, and I'm getting ready to be finished here tonight, but I find in the passage that there's two different kinds of wells, uh, especially in those biblical days, and, and there's there's really there, there's a well and, and a cistern. There's a well that would be tapped into the the aquifer uh, of the earth and would constantly have water, and then there was a well that was classified as a cistern that would gather any rainwater that would gather, and it was basically a hole in the ground that would gather the water and and uh, fill up from time to time, but it would it was required to have the rain. It wasn't springing up from underneath. And archaeologists have discovered that Jacob's well that was here in Sychar uh, was not connected to the aquifer, but only held rainwater and runoff water and things of that nature. And uh, that's why she, not only did she have to come back because she would get thirsty, but she would have to come back because the well would run dry and they'd have to wait for the well to fill back up. Listen, what Jesus was offering was the fact that not only, you know, she's going to get thirsty again, um, but she was going to have a well with her, and she wasn't going to have to wait for the well to fill back up. She wasn't going to have to wait for the rain. She wasn't going to have to wait for the water runoff, but that there would be a water that comes from the inside and would bubble up over her, and it would be a living river of water flowing from her soul. And, and I believe tonight, and, and I agree with this uh, message that the well does symbolize the broken Samaritan's life. She repeatedly found herself at the well. Not only 
because she needed the water, but because she had to continually check the well to make sure the, that the water didn't run dry in the well so that she had something to do. She, she was looking for something to satisfy her natural. She was looking when she would get thirsty, when she needed to be cleansed, when she needed to do whatever. She needed to be able to have this water. Uh, and yet at the same time, she's wanting a, a quick fix, if you will. She's wanting uh, in that moment just to give me just enough to get by till the next deal. See, part of the reason that we don't uh, operate the way that Jesus sometimes operates is, is we've become like the woman at the well in that just get me to the next service. Just get me enough drink, if you will, on Sunday so that I can get back to Wednesday and give me enough on Wednesday so that I can get back to Sunday. And we live in what I call episodic or episodes of life and, and, and those episodes are divided. And instead of looking at our life as one big picture and that on Monday the wells can be just as full as on Sunday and on Tuesday and Thursday and it's 24-7, 365, we have the availability of having the well of uh, living water springing up in us. And, and Jesus doesn't give us quick fix. He gives us eternal life. Well water that is not attached to an aquifer uh, that's more like a cistern, they run dry. But living springs, or that which is connected to an aquifer, doesn't. And everything else, that Jesus does not run dry. He never runs short. He never, he never runs out. He will always have what you need and what I have uh, and what I have need of. And, and here's the thing. You and I uh, have to live in such a way that we are so close to Jesus and we are so interconnected with him, and our hands are tied to his hands, and our feet are tied to his feet, and our senses are tied to his senses, that we can operate our lives in reflection of who he is 24-7, 365, in such a way that when others are looking for living water, we don't have well water. There's too many churches, there's too many Christians, there's too many philosophies out there that provide well water that you always have to come back. But Jesus is wanting to give us and give those that don't know it yet water that never runs out, provision that never runs out, love that never runs out, mercy that never runs out. He's wanting to give us that kind of a spirit to operate through us, in us, and through us so others can see him. And so because Jesus decided to love first, this woman would never again experience thirst in the spirit. She may have had to go back and get a glass of water, but she never had to. Uh, she, she was able to have the springs of living water, which we know in John 7 refers to the Holy Spirit that Jesus was going to impart to those that followed him. Jesus was aware of her background. She was a, he was aware of her divorce. He knew that she was living with a man that whom she was not married, but he loved first. Can I just tell you that the body of Christ, the church, if you will, should be a messy group of people? It should not be clean. I've heard the analogy, it's a hospital, not a museum. Hospitals are bloody. Hospitals are messy. Listen, I want whoever will to come and be a part of the church of the living God. I, I, it, behooves, it, it, it compels me to reach those that are messed up 
because there, but for the grace of God, I would be. And because of their mess up, that's the place where Jesus is wanting to get a hold of them. And, and so I cannot disregard those that are hurting, those that are suffering, those that are messed up, those that are trying to fill their lives with things to satisfy them, even though they're filling it with the wrong thing. I believe that Jesus is calling the church in this last day to love first, to enter into enemy territory, if you will, whether it be through prayer, but also through the aspect of revealing the love of Christ and revealing that love through our love towards another. What if you and I decided to love people before we judged people? You know, what you, that person, God could never love that person. He's done so much. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. God's loved them. It doesn't matter what they've done. God loves them. Now, does he tolerate? Does he, does he uh, allow us to live the way we used to live? No, he wants to change us and transform us. He wants to sanctify and cleanse us, but he'll receive us however we come. And if the church decided to offer the living water before we condemn them um, by their present living, how much more effective would we become in reaching those that nobody wants? There's nobody that has any desire to go before a judge, whether it be a judge of character, whether it be a judge of actions, whether it be a legal judge. Nobody wants to be judged. And so if people are feeling the judgment before they feel the love, Listen, number one, Jesus didn't do that. His judgment was strong. His judgment was righteous. His judgment was there. But he showed love first in the fact that he died for us and took the judgment and the penalty of the judgment upon himself on the tree of Calvary. And so what if we were known more for our hope than our hostility? What if we cared for uh, all of the things that are around us instead of just canceling? Listen, we've got to be the kingdom of God. And the Bible has declares all through the scripture that love not only is of God, for love is God. So the only way that you're going to be able to operate, and I'm going to be able to operate in the kingdom of God, is if we declare and show love. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited because I believe that it's time for the love of God. Uh, uh, my father-in-laws, who, who passed away this past year, uh, he used to have a testimony. I'm thankful for the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And and you could ask anybody that, that attended uh, Kent Christian uh, Center in Dover, Delaware, all those years ago. Whenever Don Smalley got up to testify, just about all the time you'd hear him state that, I'm thankful for the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the love of God. Listen, love first. Love first. And I'll close with this. It's a saying. I, I write a lot of things down, little sayings that I have, and I've got a whole book of them. I've shared a lot of them with you. But there's one that I, uh, I, I continue, and I'll close with this, and then we'll pray. Love is not blind. It sees everything. But because it sees everything, it's willing to see less. And let you just think that through. Because love sees it all. He sees the good and the bad, and he knows that the good will outweigh the bad. Praise God. We love you all tonight. Thanks for being with us. Let's close with a word of prayer, and then we'll be back together should the Lord tarry on Sunday at 1030 uh, in person and then Sunday afternoon online. Jesus, we thank you for this time that we've had together. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to uh, love and be loved. Help us to learn how to receive the love of God and help us to learn how to give the love of God. For you are love, 
And God, I'm praying that you would allow people to see your love in us. We love you and will praise you forever. In Jesus' name we pray.